Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Parallel Mothers. In Spanish, Madres Paralelas. Yes. <laughs> Your accent is beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, written and directed by Pedro Almodovar. Mm-hmm. Your favourite filmmaker. I don't know if he's my favourite filmmaker, but he's the one that I've had the longest effective relationship with. Yes, he's someone with whose films you identify. Yes, and like, you know, I've been watching them for 40 years and you know, I've kind of appreciated them for that long. Um, but I wouldn't say he's my favourite. I mean... Yeah. But just Lubitsch the key is my favourite. Lubitsch. Yes. A key filmmaker, though, for you. Yes. So this is his latest. Um, it stars Penelope Cruz. Yes. Uh, as a mother who's nearing 40. She, what, she wants to be a mother, and then a pregnancy ensues after a short affair with this uh, anthropologist. And while she's in hospital, she meets this young girl who's 17, 18 years old. Something Anna. Like yeah. Anna, yeah. Uh, who's also pregnant, and they happen to give birth on the same day. And... A relationship between them ends up forming. So the film parallels their stories, but it intertwines their stories as well. Uh, I don't want to say exactly what happens until we get into spoiler territory, because it is a spoiler. But before we do, just briefly, you seemed a little bit disappointed when we came out of the cinema. Yes, I still am. I mean, it's it's interesting, because as I've been thinking about the film a bit more, I've grown to appreciate some elements of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, some things that I couldn't really put my... I couldn't make a connection previously. I've now made the connection, though it's an unsatisfactory one. So, for example, I did think, what does the subplot with the child have to do with this historic, this, this pact of forgetting the historical memory yeah, project, right? Like, there are two strands in the film. Obviously, they're connected. I now see how they're connected, but it's still, to me, a very unsatisfactory connection in the sense that I see those things as quite separate. There's the main plot, which is the story with the kids, the mothers, and then there's this subplot that you allude to, which is about this historical uh, project to exhume graves, mass graves, of people killed, people disappeared Mm. under the Franco regime, and the kind of confrontation and restoration of Spanish sort of memory. Mm. It's... It wasn't under the Franco regime, so to speak. It was... Oh, under the Civil, in the civil it War. It was in the Civil War. In the Civil War, sorry. Yeah. Um, um, so if I can just say a word about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically what happened is, you know, during the Civil War, obviously atrocities were committed in, you know, by both uh, sides. Uh, but because the fascists won, the people who weren't remembered, who weren't buried, yeah, uh, who weren't given grave sites were the people who fought on the Republican side. And, of course, mm. there continued to be concentration camps yeah, after the war, and lots of people died after the war during the Franco years as well. Yeah, but I think the film deals with this element of, this, yeah, mm. of the Spanish Civil War. And what happened when democracy came in, it was that there was a general amnesty, right? So the idea was, you know, that this was all very recent. Everybody in the country had been affected by it. And that basically, you know, what you didn't want was a politics of revenge where, you know, now that the other side was getting to power, you would inflict all this pain you know, mm. on the winning side, so to speak. So so the idea was not to speak about it, not to bring it up, you know, to forgive people for what they've done and to move on. Mm. Yeah. So all of these things have never been spoken about, kind of dealt with 
Yes. Spain's yeah. not had a Truth and Reconciliation Committee. Until very recently, yeah. Right. Uh, and of course, it's proven really divisive as well. Yeah, again. So, so the film, I would say, is very much about that. And so it's not that the main plot is about the mothers. Really, the main plot is this thing about historical memory. And the plot about the mothers is a function in the telling of the story of, yeah, Okay. The 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 bringing up of the graves. Um, well, the, the, what I was going to get to is that ultimately those two strands didn't feel like they cohered to me. That's right. Um, you know, it, it, I felt the same. Which sounds like you may have found a way that they do. Yes, um, I have. Certainly it was interesting that the film doesn't end with the story of the mothers. It, it, return, it starts off with with this kind of imagery of photographs and that's how the credits are put together it's, it's image of like film and and drawing circles around things and that kind of thing making notes and there's a a motif of image making that kind of runs throughout the whole film yes so um what's Penelope Cruz's character's name um Janice Janice, Janice Chaplin yeah so uh Janice's character is a photographer and that's how she meets this anthropologist and then the anthropologist takes photographs as a course of his job, which you see right at the end when we get into exhuming this uh, gravesite. And there's something in, in that motif of image-making about preservation. But it was interesting to me that the story of the mothers and the kids has been dropped at the end, and, it's, and it ends back on this... Except it isn't quite, because the young girl, yeah, the baby, which is what drives the narrative to a certain extent, hmm. yeah, is at the gravesite. Yeah, she is. So she's the, she's like the future generations, the future. So the film, in a way, is about the past. That baby, who is the future, is present, you know, at the commemoration of these people and these bodies in this grave at the end of the film. Yeah. We should say, I think by this point, we are going to start spoiling the central kind of revelations of the plot, yeah. um, because there is one that we've slightly talked around at the moment. It was obvious to me when the two mothers meet and the babies are in observation... I thought, oh, they're going to switch the babies. I thought so too. It seemed kind of obvious, and it seems a little it's a bit very melodramatic. Well, part. yeah, it seemed Almodovar-ish, right? It's a bit of a yeah. soap opera twist, right? Yeah. And a lot of the film is driven by um, Janice's understanding, developing understanding that the child that she's gone home with is not hers. Mm. Um, and we talked a little bit about this just after we came out of the cinema. That I felt that so many of her actions between suspecting that, it's the dad is the first one who suspects it and she rejects it at first, but between suspecting that and eventually telling Anna the truth, so many of her actions I didn't understand. Yes, um, I did. So I felt she was kind of badly psychologised. I, I don't think that she was badly psychologised. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously um, we might have a different perspective on these moral stances, because she does act immorally, there's no question about it, mm. right? Um, and she eventually acknowledges that she, she yes. was behaving immorally. But why she would is to me understandable, right? Like, uh, this is the child that she's been given, this is the child she's probably breastfed by now. She's got this, not only this emotional attachment, probably this emotional connection, as well as a financial investment. And yeah, um, the other young girl has lost her baby and in fact she has lost what ends up being yeah yes uh, janice's baby right uh, so she's already grieved once you know kind of 
what's the point and kind of yeah I well, mean that, that's the moment that I didn't understand and at the end or at the end of that when she tells Anna what's happened and she says I was going to tell you that our babies were switched but at, but then at that time you told me that Anita which was Janice's mm. baby who was in Anna's care had died when you told me that I couldn't face losing two babies at once I thought, what a wonderful way to express that. And I understand why she would not tell her at that time. But before then, I didn't understand what she was doing because she has no idea whether, you know, she has no reason to suspect that her baby has passed away. And she might not have at that time. She knows that this switch has happened. Mm. Um, she, or at least she knows that her baby, the baby in her care is not her own. She doesn't necessarily know that it's a switch at that point. I don't. What I don't understand is, once she learns that, she gets the result back, this is not your kid. That 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 emotional connection that you speak of isn't there. You see it. It's, it's like a, it's a changeling thing, sort of, you know, this isn't no, like no, it was. No, no, I don't. And then, but then she decides, she makes this decision, no, I'm not going to tell Anna. You know, she rings her and then she, then she hangs up and she changes her number. That's what I don't understand because this is something that can be resolved and I don't think it's, it's well expressed why she wouldn't. Well, I mean, to me, it's clear why she wouldn't. So there are two things. First, you know, the emotional dimension. Uh, and second of all, the narrative progression in the film. Because I think what ends up happening is that Janice starts behaving like a fascist. I mean, basically, she is doing to Anna what the fascists did to the Republicans after the fact. Yeah, she's basically like, kind of, um, you know, she's not telling the truth, she's hiding and selfishly motivated, right? And it's very one-sided. Mm-hmm. So so I think, yeah, her self-understanding, I mean, you know, so from the film's point of view, yeah, kind of the, the link between both narrative strands have to do with mm. Janice's own coming into consciousness that what she's doing is unconscionable. Yeah. Mm. But the, and I, th- I like the way that the film complicates that it's not immediately that way, that there are kind of emotional and selfish and all kinds of motivations that prevent her from doing so, which I, I think are quite human, right? And I think what I've not seen mentioned elsewhere, and which is very important, I think, uh, at least for a Spanish reading of the film, is that one of the ways that the Spanish government punished people connected with the Republicans or yeah, the left wing, the people who lost the war, mm. was by stealing their babies. Yeah? Right. So there's a whole scandal in Spanish culture about, you know, uh, single mothers and uh, poor women and women who had been associated with the Republicans, right, who would have a baby and then three weeks later, like they'd be told that their baby had died, yeah, uh, you know, crib death mm. or, yeah, and then actually the babies would be given up for adoption yeah, to people who were affiliated with the regime. Right. That's a whole kind of huge scandal yeah, in, in Spanish uh, uh, recent history. So the film is kind of touching on that because actually what Penelope Cruz is doing is she's behaving exactly that way. She's, yeah, she's behaving mm. very expediently, very selfishly. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's also yeah, kind of... Uh, well, I, from my perspective, it's also quite human. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's not behaving monstrously. You can understand why, why, you know, a forty-year-old woman who's yeah, kind of, finally has a baby, and in those particular circumstances, where you know she hasn't done anything wrong. This is the baby that was given to her, right? And she was told this was her baby, 
right? Uh, and, you know, what had been her baby had just died, right? Uh, I think it's quite human. Yeah, I mean, it's not... And it becomes quite human, but like I say, my problem is before she finds out that her baby's died, why... The question that I'm asking is, well, she should be going, where is my baby? And she's not. Ah. You know? Ah, ah, ah. Yes, that's... Now I get you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this thing of where is my baby is... Uh, um, yeah, I, I think I think that's an issue. And there are several others in the film, yeah, which I think... So in some ways... Amadova is quite subtle and funny and, you know, and, and I think these, some of these things are complicated and some aspects of the film are not complicated enough. And I think now I see your point, that is mm. one of them. Why isn't she searching for her baby? Right. Yeah, be, because at that point, all she knows is that she's not the mother, that that's not her baby, right? She hasn't yet heard that the other one has died or, yeah, so where is her baby? Why isn't she looking for it? Uh, I think that's right. I also think that the ending, though I found it moving, I also found it pat and simplistic. Um, are you talking about the the whole scene or just the quote? The whole scene, yeah, because, you know, I think, I can't imagine a Spanish family who hasn't been affected by this, yeah. right? So if there is going to be truth and reconciliation, mm. it has to be from everybody, right? And kind of what you get at the end of the film is a march by the relatives of, yeah, the people who'd been shot, yeah, and put in a mass grave uh, with their pictures. So they're remembering, right, and they move, they walk into the village with those pictures. Was actually, I think what I would have liked to have seen is everybody in the village joining them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... I mean, these things don't just affect the relatives, you know. And actually, I would imagine that some of those relatives would find other roots in, uh, you know, the phalangist history, right? Kind of, you know, I mean, I think if I speak for my own family, you know, I have relatives who fought on both parts of the war. And, yeah, and certainly then if you go into uh, different generations, like, you know, kind of everybody that I can think of, really, in Spain has been affected by this in a way that's not just one-sided. Right? Mm. You're not just purely the victim of this or yeah, kind of purely the person who gained from this. Yeah, so, and certainly, yeah, kind of, uh, I don't know, 36 to now, what is that, 80 years or uh, this, yeah. this, this much time later. So, so I would have liked for that conciliation to be less pat, more complicated, or maybe, you know, to have a march into the village, you know, from, from, from not just members of the family, of which they encountered some resistance in the village. I mean, you know, because there's a lot of resistance. I'm not saying there isn't, right? But just to not have it so easy and patent, yeah? Mm. I, I thought it was too simplistic, that ending. Has Almodovar been this explicitly political before? Never. Uh, in fact, he used to make a comment, which I was derided, you know, that he made films as if Franco had never existed, yeah, in complete freedom, right? Which I think is like, it's bullshit because, you know, his films often reference songs, film stars of, you know, mm. yeah. And also, the fact that his films had the impact that they did, right, was, on, was only because of what had gone before, right? Why like, did he say that? Um, well, because in a way he was very brave and there's, I mean, there is an element of truth, right? You know, like... Uh, 
I mean, Franco died in 1975. Censorship was only abolished in 1978, right? His film was made in, his first film was made in 79, released in 1980. And he had like penis measurement contests and there was camp and lesbians pissing on each other. I mean, you couldn't have made that film before. I mean, you know, Mm. he would have been jailed like without a question before, Mm. right? And I thought, you know, I I thought he was very brave because actually, in fact, there was an attempted coup in 1981, I think, Colonel Tejero was an attempted coup. He went in with guns, you know, into the Spanish parliament, the Cortes, yeah, and uh, uh, tried to reestablish a military rule. So, you know, like he was he was taking enormous chances at a time when, you know, people weren't quite sure what the democracy would take, right? I mean, it's very easy to see it now, to look back and, and see it, but, you know, kind of it could have gone in many directions, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of, you know, so, so it's true uh, that I don't think he, ex- well, he, he did explicitly reference, if, if you look at Live Flesh, there is a direct reference to the state of emergency, yeah, uh, imposed, I think after the death of Carrero Blanco, after the assassination of Carrero Blanco, uh, yeah, uh, so the, the, there are references, mm. yeah, so it's a, it's not true, uh, but I can see where he's coming from, because he's certainly, I mean, you know, these are some of the freest films and some of the most generous and encompassing and inviting and inclusive of many kinds of difference, I think, you know, that I can think of. I mean, uh, I always felt kind of a little bit superior going from Canada to, to Spain, thinking, you know, how advanced we were in Canada. Uh, but, you know, Canada didn't make anything like Almodovar's films when he made them, that's for sure, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and that's why they've had the impact and the popularity that they've had. They were like incredible to see those things at that time. Yeah. Mm. So he was working with a level of courage and freedom, you know, unexpected in a country that had so recently come out of a military dictatorship and of which democracy was not yet assured. So it's like saying, so, so when he says, I make films, or when he did say, I make films as though Franco had never existed, it's sort of like saying... The world in which my films exist, you know, the the campness, the freedom of expression, of sexuality, couldn't have been possible under Franco. That's it's it, they come from a different world in that respect. But actually, that is quite political because it's saying it's doing that is such a it goes so against what had been the regime for so long. That's a political statement to do, to be that bold. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think what he means is that he had the freedom. And then he had the courage to act on that freedom. Yeah, because to have the freedom and to exercise it mm. is not the same. Though, of course, if you don't exercise it, do you have that freedom? You, you'll never know. Mm. Yeah, he exercised it and he did, right? Uh, but of course, you know, that is in itself a response to what had gone on before. Is it also partly a kind of wish to deliberately try and forget the man and the regime? You know, except how could you? I mean, his well, first yeah, films but, are all full of, you know, the but like as a form of revenge against the guy to ignore, you know, to say this is my revenge against Franco. I ignore everything he did. I live in a different world now, or to say that at least. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I can't read into his head. No, sure. You know, but it seems to me, kind of, you know, uh, we all grew up with that regime. It's part of our life, part of our history, part of our responses, part of our memories. How you can erase that? 
I think it's impossible. Mm. You know, and he's older than I am. He's like 15 years older than I am. So how he can erase that is impossible. And the fact is he hasn't. You know, he does autobiographical films in which he might not uh, refer to the dictator himself, you know, but when he, in Bad Education he talks about the church and you know, the power of the church and the regimes of the church and, mm. you know, the way the church maintained order and the exercise regimes, that is that world, of that is a fascist world that he's referring to. Yeah, um, but you do agree that here he's at his most explicitly political. He's making a point of it in the film. He has this, well, this exhumation committee. Here he is, yeah, political with a small p, let's say. Yeah, okay. it's about a, a particular contemporary issue yeah. that he's dealing with. Uh, and the question is how well he's dealing with it. I'm not sure he's dealing at it mm. well. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's... It's not a complex view of the past that he presents. It's it's quite a forceful... I mean, I did like the quote at the end from Eduardo Galeano. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, the historian you were saying. Yes. Um, the uh, open veins... He wrote The Open Veins of Latin America. Yeah, so this comes from uh, his book Upside Down, A Primer for the Looking Glass World, and i got the quote up here. Mm. I'm going to read it in English, mm. if that's all right. <laughs> Uh, there is no silent history, however much they burn it, however much they smash it, however much they lie about it, human history refuses to shut up. Mm. Which is a very powerful quote to end the film on. Yes. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it comes up just after the final shot of um, you look, looking at this mass grave and you're seeing these skeletons and then it's enacted as people. Yes. You see a shot of actual people lying in these graves rather yes. than skeletons there. It kind of tr- tries to bring that image to life, right? Yes. Um, but it is also, I think I, I agree with you, it is also Pat. It's it's offering this one... It, well, it, I suppose it's not trying to offer, if I'm generous, a perspective on history as much as a perspective on how he wants to feel about the history, how, how kind of forcefully he would like to... I mean, you have this thing about about not addressing the past, mm. you know, forgive and forget, and but what well, forgive and forget is maybe a bit glib, but you know, what you're sort of saying about you try and move well, on, and now it's this idea of no, we're, actually, we're, gonna, we're not moving on now, we're going to bring up the past. I think one has to have more empathy f- for poor people, and also, which Almodovar has always had, right? But I think what people forget is that, you know, the people who are highly political, in a- at any point in, in, in the world now, in Britain, for example, you know, if you think of, like, Brexiters and so on. I mean, that's a very small percentage of people. I mean, some people might have views, right? But, you know, the idea that they would act on those views, it's probably quite a small percentage of the entire population. Mm. And one of the things, particularly in an armed and military conflict, is that people were drafted, right? Yeah, so people were drafted into Mm. the military, and they were drafted by whoever happened to run that geographic part of Spain, right? Yeah, so kind of, when I was thinking of my own family, right, like kind of, you know, my paternal grandfather was in this region of Avila, and he ended up, you know, being drafted by the the phalanges. And, you know, his brother, who was selling sheep in Madrid, ended up being drafted by the other side. So this idea that, you know, kind of, you have a will and you make a choice, and mm. yeah, kind of, so, so for example, when when the story is told about uh, the father, Janice's father, yeah, who was made to go and dig his 
a grave, mm. you know, and his own, and it ends up being his own grave that he's digging, right? And then he returns home and he's with the baby, and then that was the last he was heard of, mm. and it ends up that he's dug his own grave, right? And you think, well, who was making him do it? Yeah, was it something that, you know, was pleasurable? Was it vengeful? Was it, mm. yeah, I kind of, I think, you know, the things about civil war is that. I mean, any war is probably very complicated. I think a civil war, yeah, and a civil war in which you, you often, I'm often kind of fascinated because you often hear of Americans, you know, or Brits, yeah, who kind of joined particular brigades and went to fight, mm. yeah, for freedom in Spain, yeah, and kind of, you know, very yeah. left-wing. George and so on. Yes, and then you think of my own kind of, you know, poor peasant, you know, grandparents, and they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? Like, you know, and they were just kind of napped, yeah. really. Yeah, it's like, you know, you either kind we, of... Yeah, we've got these, like, <laughs> like political war tourists coming in. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I suppose, you know, I'm just trying to say that I wanted more complexity at that end. Mm. And I wanted more conciliation and more conciliation of difference, you know, and also a kind of a recognition you know, that a young person in Spain now, yeah, probably has branches of the family at every level of, you know, compliance, resistance, mm. you know, probably very bad actions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it, it, you know, so he's seeing it very black and white because obviously the side that he's on, I think is the right side and the just side, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you can, so it's right that, you know, this is exhumed and people are buried and all of that stuff. I agree with that, right? But I think it shouldn't be made just an issue for the relatives of those people, though obviously they are probably the ones more affected with it. Mm. You know, it should be something... I would have liked to have seen it dramatized as a justice that people who might descend from various sides would want to participate in, mm. if that makes sense. Yes, I think it does. I mean, I think the accent that the film is trying to put in it is is on the pain, the historical pain, and the, and the idea that these people never saw what what they saw was unfair. Anyway, they were killed and made to dig their own graves and all these awful things, and that they've never seen any form of justice for it. Yeah. And this is kind of trying to give them some form of that. But I think you can have that kind of historical pain and also present a more complex view of the past. And the pain was not just of the loss. Of someone, you know, because often, for example, like I said, you know, a lot of uh, widows or, you know, they would have had their children taken away from them. They wouldn't have been able to get particular jobs. I mean, you know, kind of there was really a, a terrible mistreatment of people who had been on the quotation marks losing side mm. and of the relatives. I mean, people paid a price way beyond the end of the Civil War for that. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I think it's interesting that there's, well, it's it, in the context of Almodovar generally, this is not maybe that interesting, but there's only one significant male character in the film, which is the anthropologist yes. character, and everyone else around him is a woman. And they say around him, he's one of the people around the main character. That's quite typical of Almodovar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think it's interesting that his involvement um, is on the basis of him being a member of this board, this Association for the Recovery of Historical Memory, which is a real organisation that's portrayed in the film, which is you know working on finding these mass graves, exhuming the bodies, giving them proper burials, identifying the bodies and all that kind of thing. Um, and you know, it struck me 
how isolated he was as a male character, particularly when they go and see Janice's aunt, mm-hmm. um, and then she shares her memories, and there's three or four other old ladies around them too, yes. and it's all women who. Are, and then I, I get the impression that when you see the grave at the end, those are all male bodies too. Yes, um, like these are the people who who dies, and the women were left to bear an emotional brunt of it and live on with the memories. Well, you can imagine also the poverty, right? Because, you know, I mean, especially in a village, it would have been a subsistence economy, uh, very dependent on, you know, male labor and male wages, right? Um, I think I told you, like, my, you know, my grand worked at a pharmacy and she, she worked for three years and with no wages, right? So, mm. yeah, the idea that a woman would then have to support a household yeah, uh, uh, it's a very daunting uh, task. It must have been extraordinarily difficult. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think, I mean, kind of, uh, we're maybe moving too far away, you know, from the film in the sense that, you know, I suppose my disappointment is that the film doesn't bring forth these resonances, though I suppose in, in to, to the extent that I'm talking about them, I suppose it does. Um, the film does bring in other things that I think are worth mentioning. So, you know, one of the recurring themes in the film that, that you mentioned is this thing about photography. Yeah? Mm. Janice is a photographer, you know, uh, and she works in the, you know, the image making strand of it, shoes, handbags, famous people, right? But then there's this whole strand about photographs as history, as people, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as in a certain way, yeah, there's a tension there between the truth, in quotation marks, that these photos represent. Well, it's interesting that right at the start, before you get into the story of the babies or anything like that, you start off with her uh, taking photos of the anthropologist character, and then they talk and everything, and they're talking about, she has this project, I want to find this mass grave, mm. see this mass grave. And you see all these photos that she's showing him of presumably... Real photos, her relatives, of, of yeah. relatives, and everything, and she she says their names, and I think she maybe says a line or two about who they are as yeah. well on top of them. And for a moment, it becomes like a documentary. It does just yeah. very early on at this yeah. point. It's like, and I think the the assumption, at least that I had, that these have to be real photos of real. I I don't know because off from the time, Amador is very witty because she'll say something like, "Oh, this is my aunt," and what you see is like. You know this woman with a mustache. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, um, I, so I'm not. I mean, I just don't know, right? It could very well be. It nonetheless, the, be. nonetheless, the 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 use of photos at that point as as a historical record. That's kind of all they have at this point. Yeah, is important, and it sets up photography in as this. You know, it sets up that part of photography, that side of photography as memory. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because obviously there's also a relationship there in the sense that, you know, the analog has an indexical link into history. The digital, which is what Janice is, you know, using to film those shoes and so on. Yeah. Yeah, has a different relationship to that. So I think one one could extrapolate on those issues that are there, right? And I think Almodovar plays with them. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was uh, Federico García Lorca was a strand, right? Because he's arguably Spain's most famous 20th century playwright. And he's one of those people who was shot and nobody knows where he's buried. Oh, right. Uh, he was shot during the Civil War. Nobody knows where he's buried. And of course, Anna's mother is touring in a Federico Garcia right. Lorca play. Yeah? Rosita, 
Doña Rosita. Doña Rosita la soltera, I think. What's that in English? Doña Rosita the unmarried. Oh, the spinster. The spinster. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I think Almodóvar is good at tying these things together, which is when we left the cinema and I couldn't figure out quite why, mm. you know, uh, uh, how the plots linked. I mean, I knew that they had to, but how they did so didn't quite make sense to me. And I think it's still a failure of the film, mm. you know, that it doesn't just jump at you immediately, right? Uh, you know, you have to kind of think it through. Um, and there are some things that I loved, but don't sit easily. So, for example, I love that at the heart of the film is, you know, a lesbian relationship. Is it given the same weight as her relationship with the guy? I don't think so. It's given more space, screen time, but it's not given the same kind of effective weight. Yeah, you could see that yeah, the, the guy turns the Penelope Cruz character on in a different way than the girl. Yeah, the, you know, you get the sense that with Anna, it's more like a comfort fuck or something. Mm. Yeah. Um, and experiences in the same bed, the children, yeah, it's comforting and it's certainly not an issue and I'm sure she had a lot of fun, but you don't get a sense, yeah, of, uh, you know, the, the curtain blowing in the wind and yeah, <laughs> that you get with the guy. Um, I, but I also, what I didn't like was, well, it's not that I didn't like it, but made me uncomfortable is that the Penelope Cruz character is so much older than Anna, yeah? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, as, as the film unfolds, I mean, she's meant to be, what, in her early 40s, right? And the girl's meant to be 20, and it looks like it. So there's just, you know, kind of, though, you know, why? maybe that's just in my own head why that's a problem. Well, it's, it's, it's Anna who, I mean, it's interesting we talked about Licorice Pizza recently. Yeah, which is a relationship it's between a, a twenty-five and a fifteen-year-old, and we were asking why does it not feel yes. um, unacceptable? And you're that, right. And, you're right. Uh, one of the things that that renders it acceptable uh, that we thought in in Licorice Pizza is that um, the affection all comes from the younger yes. of the pair, and the older yeah, in that film is kind of batting it off for a long time. Yes. You know, and the film never really becomes that physical either. I think it's part of it. Here, um, obviously, no one's underage. But still, it's it's instigated that relationship by Anna, yes, the younger of the two, um, yes, and and when she kisses Janice, that it's she she really isn't responding to the kiss for mm. a long time, mm. you know, for several several seconds, and she has this look on her face like what the fuck is going on, what are you doing, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite funny. But and then she, you know, reciprocates and um, and they uh, develop a physical relationship. But I think that's important that. Mm. You know, it's. I think because one of the things that came up in the in Licorice Pizza was, is it grooming behaviour? And the answer yeah. was no, we don't think so. Yes. And I think that's it goes here. It right? goes here as well. And actually, and of course, she's given such a fascinating story as well. And I love the way that was handled because it turns out her child is the result of a rape. Mm. And again, you know, it's a very interesting account of that rape because the thing is, you know, she was at a party, she fancied one guy, they filmed her, and then the other guys forced her to have sex with them, or they would make that film public. Yeah. Right? So, the sex was a forced sex as the result of blackmail, right? Mm. Uh, uh, and I thought that was kind of fascinating as well. 
Yeah, because of course it is a rape. It's a kind of sexual violence, right? But it's one extracted out of blackmail. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, well, they're both unplanned pregnancies, but yes. one is very positive. Yes. And one is the result of a rape. Yes. There are certain things about Almodovar that you get to expect. So, again, the art in his films is never accidental. Yeah. So he always has, like, paintings on walls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this time, the one I noticed was a very famous painting by Sorolla, Joaquin Sorolla, this kind of realist but impressionist Spanish painter, very famous for his painting of light, beaches. Yeah. Uh, of a young boy, uh, naked, uh, but you only see his backside on on the beach, right? Very famous painting. Anyway, so that's something that caught my eye. There are books about Cecil Beaton. There's all this amazing pottery that he always has, yeah, in his films. Um, that really, you know, caught my eye. I really appreciated the lessons in cooking, <laughs> yeah, the making of the tortilla, and of course in Spain. Tortillera is like a slang word for lesbian. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So kind of that might have kind of certain. Tortillera. Um, what does that mean? Someone who makes tortillas. Oh, what lesbians make tortillas? Well, no. I mean, I don't know why what the root of the <laughs> name is. You know, I suppose because of breaking eggs. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I don't know. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing here. I mean, I don't know, but that is the slang term for lesbian. Sure. Okay. Right? Um, so, so I think you can see all these continuities, you know, in, in his work, but I think this time handled with a sobriety, uh, and perhaps a lack of humor, Mm. you know, that is unusual in him. I mean, his films are always funny or they always have a funny way of looking at the world. Yeah. There are elements that kind of, a humor always shines through. And, and this time it didn't really, or no. at least not for me. No. I mean, the only joke that I got as a joke was, you know, when seeing all those pictures of the relatives, he includes one, you know, of a lady with a mustache. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was, you know, yeah. both a stereotype and funny. There's nothing too wacky here. Yeah. Yeah. I miss the frivolity. I miss the laugh. There's often a lot more seriousness and complexity in the frivolity and the laughs than I feel I get from this serious turn in Almodovar. You know, I really love Pain and Glory, and I think it's like a great masterpiece. And yet, this film, which has been getting these extraordinary reviews and so on, leaves me quite unsatisfied, maybe in ways that I quite, can't quite articulate. I mean, my history of difficult Almodovar films is that I sometimes have this response to some films, like, you know, Bad Education, and then the more I see it, the more I love it, and I think you know, I end up thinking it's one of his best films. So this might yet happen to me with this film, mm. yeah. But my first impression is that I found it unsatisfactorily half baked. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. A bit earnest and a bit pat, and those are the two things that one would never have associated with Almodovar before. <laughs> Fair enough. Very good. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.